What's up, Florida fans? Welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators. On today's show, we are going to preview the Florida Vandy game with Nick Cole, who is based out of Nashville and has covered the Commodores for several years. We're going to get Nick's thoughts on last year's matchup between Vandy and Florida, how things have played out for the Commodores program since then, and what it's going to take for Vanderbilt to be competitive against UF and the Swamp on Saturday. I also got Nick's thoughts on the SEC at large and how many conference teams he thinks could make the college football playoff this season. Here was my conversation with Nick this week. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me, man. I've been, been doing well. Uh, glad to talk a little uh, Florida Vandy. Absolutely, man. Always uh, always good when these two teams get to meet up, although I wish I was going to Nashville to come see you uh, <laughs> instead of Vandy coming to the swamp. Well, before we start talking about these two teams, what have been your thoughts on the SEC so far this season? You know, some of the big matchups that we've already seen. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, isn't that sort of the, the story of the year is that Coach O finally found somebody to create some offense for a, an LSU program that's typically, you know, we, we think of as, as, a, as a defensive-minded group. You know, they, they're they're scoring at will, and um, I think a lot of people, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out when they play Alabama on Saturday, but a lot of people think they may be the best team in the country, and, and if you look at the – the resume so far, it'd be hard to argue against it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you know, and in, in the East, I think we're getting exactly what we expected to see with Georgia and Florida and then sort of everyone else. Uh, I know you guys probably feel reeling a little bit in, in Gainesville after uh, a couple of tough losses to some really good teams in, in the league that have sort of put you guys in a tough spot, but in terms of the East, but, um, you know, I, I really think maybe more than more so than in recent seasons, there's four or five really, really good teams at the top of the SEC, and then it's just sort of everybody else. No doubt. And, and we're seeing that once again. Everybody's certainly ready for the big matchup on Saturday in Tuscaloosa. But there was a big uh, matchup last year in Nashville. Man, thinking back on that game, that was a, that was a wild one. You had the, the, the big skirmish on the field. You had the comeback. Florida had to have. And Vandy came out and had a really strong start to that game. What do you remember about that that matchup last year, Nick, and just – kind of how it played out and some of the craziness that happened over the course of the game. Yeah, it was wild, wasn't it? I think Vandy got out to a 21 to three lead in that game. And, um, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn, who's their, you know, their big time running back uh, had a big 75 yard touchdown run in the first quarter of that game. And then left shortly thereafter with, I believe it was a concussion or, you know, uh, something along those lines. Um, that sort of, to me, that's sort of when that game changed. Um, you were, you were thinking at the time that, and I don't know if Florida's going to be able to stop uh, Vandy enough to, to make that comeback, but uh, without Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, the Vandy offense slowed down a little bit. Like you said, I, I think back to, you know, my memory of that game is, you know, Derek Mason and, and Todd Grantham at, at each other's throat in the middle of the field <laughs> um, in the second half of that game. And as Florida was sort of uh, making their way back to, to maybe where everyone expected to be there with a 37-27 to 27 win. And, and how tough do you – feel like that loss in particular was for Vanderbilt because that, that was a moment for them to, to really get a signature win under Derek Mason and kind of let it slip through their hands. Yeah, for sure. You know, you think back to last year's team, which was a lot better than this year's team, which we'll probably get to in a minute, but, that uh, you know, they had a senior quarterback and Kyle Shermer and sort of three or four pieces offensively that were actually pretty good by SEC standards. Um, and, you know, they, they ended up finishing six and six that season and, it was good enough to get to a bowl game, but they lost to Baylor. But, um, yeah, you look at that game and you say, well, Derek Mason beat Georgia at Georgia in 2016, and that's probably his signature win. 
But if you look at the series history against the Gators, um, you know, picking up a win against them definitely would have been a signature piece that, you know, looking back on how this season has transpired for Derek Mason, he probably could have used something like that, you know? Yeah, no doubt. And, and you mentioned the fact that they didn't make it to a bowl game last year. They suffered the loss to Baylor. What were kind of some of the expectations for this team going into the season and, and kind of the, the, the talk around Nashville about what they could do? And, and then, obviously, the way that they started the season, winless in conference play until they got that big upset win over Missouri. Yeah, so, you know, it was a little bit surprising after that season. You know, they knew they were losing Kyle Shermer, who was a four-year starter at quarterback and uh, plays for the Chiefs now. He's the son of uh, New York Giants coach Pat Shermer. A uh, really smart player who sort of, you know, broke all the records of Andy. And you, you looked at it and you said, okay, they're going to lose that guy. But they got key pieces to come back, guys that could have very easily gone into the NFL draft a year early in running back Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, wide receiver Kalijah Lipscomb, tight end Jared Pinckney. So you look around and you say, okay, well, they lost Shermer, but they've got some really quality all-SEC caliber pieces. Um at some skill positions, which is very unusual for Vandy to have that many at one time. Yeah. Um, you say, okay, so what, what what can they do here? You know, I think expectations were cautiously optimistic that if they could get decent quarterback play, you know, they could they could have a winning season for the first time under Derek Mason. You know, this is his sixth season, and going into the season, he was given a contract extension in February, which is, you know, you scratch your head a little bit. <laughs> and now looking back on it, uh, but, yeah, the guy that had three years left on the contract, and they gave him even more years. I don't know how many, we're not sure. They, they didn't disclose. It's a private university. And they don't have to. Uh, but yeah, they extended that contract. And like you said, uh, things haven't quite turned out as maybe expected or hoped. Uh, at this point, they're, you know, two and six, got one win in the conference. Uh, we could talk a million different ways about how it's gone wrong, but I think it's best summed up with, uh, they have the worst defense in the league in total defense and the worst offense in the league in total offense. When you throw those together, it doesn't really matter, you know, much <laughs> else. You're going to, you're going to get outscored more times than not. Um, I think you can sort of point to, uh, a loss at home against UNLV, which is a two and seven Mountain West team yep. that sort of defines the struggles they've had. Um, quarterback has been a revolving door. Uh, they've started. They're going to have started three different guys now, um, and you may even see a fourth-string quarterback in this game against Florida. So it's 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 been an interesting situation. Um, you know, last week they played South Carolina, uh, lost 24-7 after uh, scoring on the first drive of the game and then losing their quarterback uh, for, uh, to a concussion, <laughs> and, and they pretty much couldn't uh, score after that. And their best receiver, Elijah Lipscomb, did not play in that game. It was a little bit – that's a, sort of an interesting storyline here in Nashville this week. Uh, he was dressed on the sideline uh, and did not enter. And, you know, so when asked about it after the game, Derek Mason gave a really odd response and saying uh, it was a personal reason that, that Lipscomb didn't play. It wasn't a suspension. It wasn't, uh, you know, an injury, uh, just something personal, which, you know, you think, how's a kid – make the trip to Columbia, South Carolina, dress for the game, full pads, standing on the sidelines, and a personal reason keeping him out. So I think people have sort of been scratching their heads on what that actually means and maybe points to a little bit of a fracture in the locker room in terms of 
guys that have NFL futures and see this season as going nowhere. Um, so, yeah, it's just sort of the, the state of the union here is not great. Definitely. And, and uh, you mentioned all, all the things that have gone wrong, the struggles, the stats, and, and the loss to UNLV. What went right against Missouri? And how were they able to get an upset <laughs> over the Tigers when they had climbed into the top 25 and were really yeah. coming at that time? Uh, you know, that's one of those mysteries of football sometimes, I think, uh, because here's what Vandy did going into that game. Uh, they started their third-string quarterbacks. You know, everyone was healthy, and they the top two guys had just been so ineffective that they went to third-string quarterback Mo Hassan. Uh, didn't reveal they were going to play that guy until about an hour before kickoff when people figured out he was taking snaps of the first-string offense. And what he offered was a little bit of a, a running element. Uh, and so I think they probably – caught Missouri a little bit off guard, you know, bringing that type of an offense out there. They had sort of tailored what they were doing to his skill set, and it was quite a bit different than than the guys that, you know, than Riley Neal or, or Deuce Wallace, you guys will see on, on Saturday. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they came out there and, and sort of caught him off guard, and and uh, unfortunately for Vandy, lost Mohassan in the, in the process of winning that game. Uh, he's he took a – I'm sure probably a lot of y'all have seen the video of him taking a helmet-to-helmet shot from a Missouri defender uh, when he was sliding down, and he hasn't played since. And, you know, the concern is, you know, that's been three weeks, and he's still in concussion protocol, and you wonder, you know, if his season's done or, you know, what he's thinking beyond football. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the gist of, of how they got there. Now, uh, I can't – I can't explain it from a Missouri standpoint. You know, you, you know, they you saw them struggle on the road earlier in the year against Wyoming and lost a game that, in retrospect, they probably had no business losing. And, I mean, I think, if I recall correctly, they played four or five games at home in a row after that before traveling to Nashville um, and losing to Vandy. So perhaps it's a uh, can't-figure-it-out-on-the-road type of situation for Missouri that can, you know led, led to that perfect storm. Before I bring Nick back on, I want to let you know that this show is brought to you in part by Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. We're speaking with Nick Cole and his thoughts on the Florida Vandy game. Nick, as you look at this matchup on Saturday and the success that Florida has had, in what ways, especially coming off of that Missouri win for the Vanderbilt Commodores, what can they do in this game to try to challenge Florida? Obviously, they have bond back, so that's going to help them on the ground. But maybe also defensively, what are some ways that they're going to try to attack Florida? Yeah, uh, so their their number one issue is going to be stretching the field, I think. You know, when, you, when you're planning on starting Deuce Wallace, who um, is very limited in what he can do throwing the ball, uh, and like you said, everyone knows about Keyshawn Vaughn, and so because of that, I'm sure Florida will be uh, well-prepared to stop the run from Vanderbilt. Um, and we know just how disruptive Florida can be uh, defensively in the backfield. So, you know, I just I have a hard time seeing Vanderbilt being able to score without being able to uh, hit on some big plays down the field. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's probably, you know, Derek Mason sort of spoke to that this week, talking about that being an importance on the offensive side. And then, man, defensively, they've been, you know, they're in year six of Mason who, you know, sort of got his – worked his way up in the coaching ranks as being a defensive expert at Stanford. Um, and it may be the worst defense he's had, 
since year one with Vandy, probably. Wow. Uh, so it, it, it's it's, and it's it, that's that's where you know Vandy fans get really discouraged, thinking, did we peak at six wins with Derek Mason? Uh, you know, a couple of times there. Uh, because it, it really has, feels like they've regressed on both sides of the ball. But you know, if they're gonna if they're gonna win this game, I mean, this is gonna sound cliche, and, uh, but they're just gonna have to win in the turnover battle. And, and almost, I think Florida is gonna have to make their own mistakes. You know, what I mean, I think Vanderbilt is not in a position to uh, dominate on the line. They're not in a position to um, you know send pressure and expect for their secondary to be able to you know match up one on one with those veteran receivers at Florida. So. I mean, the game script for them to win this game on the road has just got to be perfect. Definitely. And then final thing on Vandy before we get some big-picture stuff with you, Nick, just where do you feel like Mason is at in terms of how he's received by the fan base, certainly within the administration, and what type of job security do you think he has? And and the second part of that is also with the struggles and, and, and trying to have successful seasons, how much does what James Franklin and what he was able to accomplish uh, how much does that kind of still linger in the minds of folks in Nashville? Yeah, well, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, not to to make an even comparison to this, but you know, it's in some ways it's kind of how Ron Zook tried to follow Steve Spurrier. <laughs> you know, Spurrier had a, a longer tenure and a much more successful tenure, but people forget James Franklin had back-to-back top 25 finishes uh, with nine win seasons in 2012 and 2013. At Vanderbilt, I mean, that's historically significant for that program. I mean, that's the best years they had had since literally the 30s. Um, so when you look at it from that perspective and the expectations that grew uh, there, when Mason comes in, if you, it, it really depends on what kind of lens you put it in, right? If you, if you compare Mason to James Franklin and where he had the program when he inherited it, then you're bound to be disappointed if you're a Vanderbilt fan by the results. Yes. But if you compare Derek Mason to pretty much any other Vanderbilt coach in in the last 50 years, he actually compares pretty favorably. He's taken him to two bowl games. Um, you know, he's he's won five or more games in the last three years. He's beaten Tennessee. Now Tennessee is is down from their normal standard, but he's beaten Tennessee in three consecutive years, which has not happened since the 20s. Uh, so you know, just as a you know, you put some perspective on that, and you say, well, you know. It, it, he is he is not a complete failure by any stretch of, of that word, uh, especially given how tough this job is. But to answer your question on like where he stands with the fans and the administration, the administration's a little bit interesting in that they got a new athletic director at Vanderbilt in February, and uh, a week after they got the new athletic director Malcolm Turner, um, the longtime athletic director David Williams actually passed away after, right after he handed over the torch. Uh, and so it created this awkward situation and, you know, everybody was kind of stunned and coming out of that situation, Derek Mason emerges with a contract extension I mentioned to you earlier. Um, now I don't know if that was something that, you know, David Williams had put in motion prior to passing and Malcolm Turner honored it. Um, I would think that almost has to be the case given that usually when you get a new athletic director, he's interested in bringing his own guy on board as a football coach and, um, Malcolm Turner hasn't been shy about firing a basketball coach and Bryce Drew and hiring his man and Jerry Stackhouse. Uh, so you figured that maybe he was, you know, honoring David Williams's request or, or feelings that Derek Mason deserved an extension. So, you know, that, that was where it was at in February. Now, if you look at the attendance 
that Vanderbilt's had this season. You know, you, you see it on TV when LSU was here, when Georgia was here earlier in the year. It's probably 80% opposing fans in that 40,000-seat stadium, which, you know, is a product of a few things. Of uh, I think a fan base at Vanderbilt that was pretty um, apathetic to where the program's at at this point. Um, and then also just if you're going to make a road trip for an SEC game, uh, if you're a fan base, you're most likely picking the Nashville trip, especially if you think that the Vanderbilt win will, 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 will take place and you can go down to, uh, you know, downtown Nashville and have a good time yeah. for the weekend, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they've got this huge problem of like getting overrun in their stadium. And, but what has been noticeably different to me is usually in, in a non-conference game, or in a conference game against a team that maybe doesn't travel as well, like in Missouri, um, you'll notice that the stands are fairly full of Vanderbilt fans, you know, with 20, 25,000 Vanderbilt fans. Uh, but this year, they're not showing up. You know, I mean, part of that's, you know, college football overall has a little bit of an attendance issue for a variety of reasons. But I think the other part of it is just these people are, you know, we're at year six of Derek Mason and, and they're not seeing the results they were hoping to see, you know, based off of the Franklin era. And in some ways, maybe they're saying they're done with it. Now, the interesting part about all of that is, you know, Vanderbilt is a private university, so they don't have to disclose Derek Mason's contract information, right? So whereas you, know, you guys down at Gainesville, you have a good idea of what the buyout looks like for Dan Mullen if the day were to come or whatever. Uh, well, that information is not available for – for a Vanderbilt football coach. So what we don't know is if that when that extension was given in February, was it attached with some sort of a massive buyout or, you know, about relative to what Vanderbilt boosters can afford to buy out? Um, you know, is it, is it prohibitive? Um, and if so, you know, Vandy may plug right along with Mason, even if they finish this year three and nine or two and 10, even at very, very worst case. Um, so, you know, it's really hard to say what's going to happen here. I, I could, I definitely see it breaking either way. Um, by by fan reception, I think there's a, a strong case to say it may be time to move on. Um, by contract, they may not be able to. Definitely. And then final couple of things for you, Nick. Just what are your thoughts on the SEC, how it's kind of played out this year, and the hierarchy of of the teams in the East and the teams in the West, and, and especially teams like Georgia and Florida trying to get over the hump and uh, eventually beat an Alabama or an LSU? So, uh, you know, you start in the West, I would say, I think, like we talked about earlier, I think LSU has really um, impressed me the most of, of any of any team in the league. Alabama is vintage Alabama to me at this point. I mean, they haven't been tested just yet, but the schedule sort of lends to, lends to that happening here in the next few weeks with LSU and, and Auburn and um, – maybe a, a title game appearance, depending on the outcome. Um, you know, if you're ever looking for a disappointing team in, in, in the West, um, I think A&M is a team that consistently carries the expectations of, you know, a 100,000-seat stadium and, and a $75 million head coach and a top-10 yeah. recruiting class every year. And, and, and Johnny I just can't see. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it just can't seem to get over that hump in the West, uh, which is – you know, when you're 
continually facing the best program in the country, I guess it's always going to be a struggle. But when you've got LSU on their game and Auburn on their game, it's tough sledding there. And, and I mean, if you just go down the list here, I mean, Arkansas, I don't know, as, van, as bad as Andy's been, and Andy's been very bad. Um, can you think of a program that's been more disappointing uh, just in terms of the product they put on the field than Chad Morris's Arkansas in the last year and a half? Oh, man, they've been they've just been awful to watch and, and just not competitive. No, yeah, and, and out of conference. And, you know, like when you're getting when you're getting crushed by North Texas, that's like alarms all over the place, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but, no, yeah, like you said, in the, in the East, I feel like we've been seeing this trend. Um, certainly you could see it coming from Georgia and Kirby Smart for three years now. But I, I feel like, you know, Florida has – certainly reasserted themselves in the discussion with Dan Mullen. Um, and I think, you know, I think every Gators fan has come to this conclusion at this point, but he was the right hire and getting rid of McElwain certainly was the right move. You know I mean? I think a lot of times you worry about programs like Arkansas, they, you know, they made that decision. We got to get rid of Brett Bielema and they ended up with Chad Morris and wow, look at what happened because of it. Um, but you look at Florida and you say, well, that was the right move at the right time and the right person uh, to get them back on, the trajectory that they were on, you know, maybe in the Urban Meyer days. And it's interesting to see um, how quickly Mullen turned that around. You know, you went from a complete dumpster fire to 10 wins in one year. And then this year, I know Gators fans are probably a little bit frustrated uh, with the results of the LSU and the Georgia games. But you got to keep in mind, you look at the possible playoff ranking. Yeah, that's the number two team in the country and the number six team in the country. And you didn't look like you didn't belong on the field. You know what I mean? Those, those games both had their opportunity to swing the other direction. Uh, so, you know, you, you look at that and you say, well, by another year or two down the road, are we looking at the pendulum swinging back towards the east where, you know, Kirby Smart has his program in full bloom and Dan Mullen has his in full bloom and maybe Nick Saban is, has peaked at some point, right? He is human. <laughs> Eventually, he's going to approach that 70-year-old well, we, we threshold. Yeah, who knows, man? He, he could have some years still on him. <laughs> well, you know, you think back to you know Bobby Bowden or uh, Joe Paterno or maybe even Steve Spurrier more recently when he hit he sort of hit that wall at seventy where recruits stop believing that you're actually going to be there for four or five years. You know, what I mean, um, it's some he hasn't reached that point yet, obviously, and, and the results on the field, the results in recruiting, speak to. Uh, Alabama's thing where they're at, but you know, you sort of look at the five-year process of where we might be. I, I could definitely see a oh, situation yeah. where Georgia and Florida are the class of the league. Yeah, and it's amazing. It's amazing just to see uh, that that tide seemingly turning. Uh, pun intended. Final question for you, Nick. The, the first college football playoff rankings came out. Uh, just want to get your thoughts on those. Who ultimately? I know it's kind of hard to project now. I don't know if you have some teams that you feel like are a lock to get in. But what I really want to ask you is, do you think two SEC teams could make it? And if so, which two? Because there are a lot of scenarios there within that top ten uh, that could play out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's so wide open. Like, if you if you really sat down and tried to map out the potential for um, SEC teams to get in, it'll give you a headache, first of all. But what you'll probably conclude is that there's there's three teams that – that have a very viable path to getting in, um, which would lead you to believe that as the committee's done before, 
they could put two in, you know. And, and so, you know, if you look at just observations of the, the very first release that they made on Tuesday, I mean, I think even though Clemson, you know, a lot of people want to talk about Clemson being number five and outside of the top four, to me that's kind of irrelevant, like, in terms of what games are left on the schedule. If Clemson wins out, they're in, right? Uh, just just by the process of LSU and Alabama playing each other, um, Ohio State and Penn State playing each other, you know what I mean? They're, they're just, just going to take care of itself for Clemson if they take care of it on the field, which is no given. They've had a couple of scares that you wouldn't have expected that team to have. But um, So, you know, you're looking for lock. I mean, it's, it, that, that one's probably as close as, as they come, even though they're not in the top four right now. Uh, but, you know, you look, at, you look at that LSU-Alabama game, I mean, it's one of those deals that the loser of that game still could get in, if especially if it's LSU, I think. I think, you know, we've seen Alabama do that in the past, but if you look at the strength of schedule for LSU and the wins that they have already got on yep. the books, you know, a, a one loss to Alabama, especially if it's a close loss on the road, right? <laughs> I could definitely see it settling in where if they finish the season 11-1, and one, they stay clear of all of the conference championship game, uh, you know, landmines that are out there for other teams. And when the committee sits down and looks, depending on what happens with some of these other teams, you could very easily see an SEC champion going, whether that be a one-loss uh, Georgia team or a undefeated Alabama team. And then looking back and saying, well, LSU is also one of the top four teams. You know I mean? I think that's the best scenario uh, where, you, where you see two SEC teams. Uh, but, you know, like you said, I mean, I think there's a I mean, case for... Because then, then you could have LSU win Saturday, and, and, and they go, obviously. But if, well, I mean, what happens if Alabama wins out and they, and they get a big win over Auburn? Right. Uh, what, happens if, what happens if Auburn beats Georgia and upsets Alabama? <laughs> there's a lot there, man. Yeah, well, and you think about this, it, it, it doesn't matter which of these teams wins. If Georgia, Georgia still sort of controls their own destiny in the sense that if they went out and that would include beating either LSU or Alabama in the SEC title game, they're a one-loss team who potentially is the league champion, and then you've got LSU or Bama sitting with one loss um, also as, as a as a potential candidate. So, I mean, it, it's just – it's part of the – you know, people complain about the college football playoffs in some ways, but as part of the reason to watch, right, for the next Absolutely. month, uh, you get all those scenarios, and it's just kind of fun, you know? And usually by the end of the season, it works itself out, you know? Uh, Almost and- assuredly. There's been very few cases since the playoff was instituted where there were serious debates. I can think back to that one year where um, it was Alabama or Ohio State, I think, um, and they chose Alabama, and it was you know somewhat controversial. But you're right; most of the time, by the time the dust has settled in early December, uh, the four teams have sort of proven themselves. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you have proven yourself once again, Nick. Always great to hear from you, catch up with you, and get your perspective. Great to talk about this game, and hope to see you next year in Nashville, my man. Sounds good, Zach. Appreciate the time. Appreciate Nick for his time today. Really good perspective on this Florida Vanderbilt game and also the SEC. On tomorrow's show, I will give my five keys to the game, make my score prediction, and preview all the college football action for this weekend. Make sure you stay tuned to Locked on Gators 
your team every day.